Well, amen. Thank you, worship team. I hope that's the cry of your heart this morning. Lord, I need you. And if that is true, you're saying, Lord, I'm, that's the reason I'm going to wait for you. And that's the reason I'm especially going to rely on your word because uh, I need you. You know, I, I want you to think about a, a person in your life that you would think as an example uh, of someone who continued to persevere. They didn't quit. They continued to live with integrity. Even in times, as we were singing about, that are difficult, that are hard, as well as times that were even good. And as a result of them continuing to persevere in their faith, you saw how their life God brought much fruit through. You know, when I think of an example, I think of missionary William Carey as one that God has used in my life as a believer at various times in my life when I'm discouraged uh, to think about an example of perseverance. You know, he was a well-known Baptist missionary to India. His life was characterized by perseverance, fruitful service. As you step back and look over his life, from what we can see, there was translating and translation of the Bible into 34 languages. Just one of us translating the Scriptures in one language in our lifetime. I think most of us would say, that was fruitful. Uh, but then to think about 34 languages translating the Bible into observing some 1,400 people baptized and saved at the college and mission that he had founded. You know, and when describing himself, if you were to characterize himself, he, he said this, I can plod and persevere. He plotted and persevered even when the early years of his ministry seemed like a massive failure. For example, he talks about those days that they were extremely difficult. He had no converts, he was forced to take a position as the manager of a new indigo factory. And so again, you're sent here, and then in time you really begin to start doing other work because things aren't going as planned. Uh, and this is around 280 miles north of Calcutta. His wife Dorothy experienced a total mental breakdown after the death of one of their sons, Peter, and was soon completely delusional. And so during the early days of Dorothy's insanity, Carey wrote in his diary this, This is indeed the... Valley of the shadow of death to me. Oh, what I would give for a kind and sympathetic friend such I had in England and whom I I might open my heart. And so consider the fruitfulness, again, of his life. How many missionaries and believers today, how Carey impacted them as missionaries and examples to continue to persevere in the mission field. And just imagine if he just quit when times were hard. So in those early days of ministry, if he just gave up, Or you think about if he had stopped living for the Lord and being as faithful to persevere when he had just one of the scriptures translated into the languages that he was there. No, but but thinking instead about Carrie's example, it really puts skin on, so to speak, the quality of what does perseverance look like in, in an everyday life situation. And at times his story, it helps me persevere when I'm discouraged in ministry. And when I look by faith in Carrie's example... What's amazing is as you read about his life, he talks regularly about an example of perseverance in his own at times that spurred him on. As you study Carrie's life, you find out there was an example that helped him to persevere. The pastor, Jonathan Edwards, who died three years before Carrie, he wrote a brief biography of a missionary named David Brainerd entitled The Life of David Brainerd. And it was Brainerd's example of perseverance that was inspirational to carry at various points in his life in ministry. But what's interesting is you leave about, we read about David Brainerd. He was a missionary among Native Americans. 
he saw little visible fruit in his life. And he died in the home of the pastor, Jonathan Edwards, before the age of 30 years old. And, and however, Brainerd's commitment to the gospel, as Carrie read about this man who went to the Native Americans in North America, who continued to minister and eventually dies at such a young age, that is actually what God uses also to spur on Carrie and his mission. And so Carrie lists David Brainerd, a little-known figure at the time, as an example to be followed in his biographies and in his writings. And Brainerd then is used by God through Carey's writings to then inspire others, other well-known ministers like John Wesley, Adonair Judson, Jim Elliott, many of whom we might recognize as well-known missionaries who go to the mission field for the cause of Christ. Put simply, examples of believers, many times God has purposes to use their life and perseverance as powerful encouragements in the lives of his people to help us today to persevere in fruitful service to God. And so our summer series is Hope for Fruitful Service. And we're illustrating examples of the seven qualities mentioned in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, you know, that we need to be increasing in according to the scriptures in order to be useful and fruitful in the true knowledge of God. We read about this in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. He says, For this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance. And that's the quality we're going to focus on today. And in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this list, we've already covered the quality of moral excellence as exemplified by the example of Daniel, knowledge as modeled by Solomon, godliness as last week imitated by Paul. This morning, we're focusing on the quality of perseverance in that list. What does perseverance look like? If you put skin on perseverance, what does that look like in the life of a believer? And there are many examples of believers that we could look to that show this quality. But the scriptures testify even to one man particularly who displays this quality. And this man's name is Job, and we read about this in James 5.11. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. And so by looking at the example of Job, God tells us he's an example of endurance, an example of perseverance. And there is great encouragement from studying his life because we're going to see the character of God more clearly on display as we see the outcome of the Lord's dealings in Job's life through his trials and through his blessings as well. And so this morning, I want to encourage you this morning to turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 1. That's page 370. In the Bible, under the chair in front of you, it's in the front section of the Old Testament, Job chapter 1. And this morning, through the example of perseverance of Job, we're going to look at three aspects of perseverance from Job's example that help us be fruitful in our service to our God and our King. Again, that's page 370 in the front section of the Old Testament. So follow along as I begin reading, beginning in verse 1 of Job chapter 1. This is the word of the Lord. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man 
was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his, uh, house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. This is the word of the Lord. The first point, we're not going to have time to go through the whole book of Job this morning. But as we go, I want to help us see some clear examples from Job's life. And the first example we, we see about Job's character that's mentioned is that he fears God. He fears God. And, but what's interesting is it begins talking about the fullness of Job's life and the blessings that God has provided Job, especially as he's continued to faithfully to live to please the Lord. The bookends of Job reveal he was a man blessed by God. He was upright. He was blameless. He was feared God. He turned away from evil. In the book of wisdom books like Proverbs, it mentions the wise man is the one who fears the Lord. The wise man is the one who turns away from evil. And Job here is really pictured as the, the wise man that we should desire to be as believers. Job is an example of perseverance, though, just not when the, the good moments of not just through moments of incredible suffering. First, he's an example, again, to fear the Lord even in times when it's really good, when life seems really full, when things seem to be going, maybe as you expect and would hope. And you and I, I think, can tend to think about perseverance primarily in the context of suffering, only when things are bad from our perspective. But Job's example reminds us that faithful perseverance continues in the winds, It continues in the blessings. It continues when life seems full. And sometimes it's actually blessings that bring about the most unique challenges for persevering to live for the Lord. For example, you may have come into blessings of more resources. Well, with that comes unique temptation. You have more to manage. You have more responsibilities in some ways in your life to take care of these things. And that can cause you to neglect spiritual priorities in your life. Maybe right now you're experiencing the blessing of a relationship, right? And that can draw your attention from your own personal pursuit of God. Or or the blessing of a new job can cause our attention to be more focused on our work and to neglect the Word. You know, the book of Proverbs acknowledges actually the temptation that comes when especially we experience prosperity. The wise man in Proverbs says this, Lord, that I not be full and then deny you and say, who is the Lord? Blessings can contribute to a pride of life, and we can be tempted to think, I don't need God in my life. And what's amazing, although Job's life is full, what does it say? He still fears the Lord. Job is a man whose life is prosperous, and still we see he perseveres to demonstrate commendable character in times of blessing. And, and, And we, we see this, look at the blessing that's mentioned even in the first three verses, right? He's described as a man who's blameless, he's upright, he's pure, but, and here's the fullness of the blessings that the Lord has poured out upon him. 
7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 oxen, right? I mean, donkeys, many servants, the greatest men of all the East. Then you go to the end of the book, and the book also highlights the blessings that the Lord chooses to pour out upon Job in his life. Job 42, 12 through 15, the Lord blessed Job the latter days of Job more than his beginning. He had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camel and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. Right? If you're doing your math, it's double, right? He even blessed him with children. He named the first Jemima and the second Keziah and the third Karen Hapuk. And in the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and grandsons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. It is no question that the Lord chose in mercy to bless Job abundantly. But instead of believing that he does not need God, Job's heart is deeply attentive to God, deeply attentive to God's glory, and he even sacrifices on behalf of others. All these blessings that he's receiving, he's willing to sacrifice on the behalf of others, and we see some specific ways that he uses the blessings that the Lord has given him. He perseveres to show continual concern about God and others, even in the good times. In the beginning, God highlights the concern for God's glory and the spiritual welfare of his children. Look at verses 4 and 5. It talks about his sons used to go, and they hold a feast in the house of each one on his, own, on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat. But then we go on further, and it reads, what would Job do, right? Job would send and consecrate them, rising up in the early in the morning, offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Whole animals, all going up, being sacrificed on behalf of all, each of the children, right? And he would, what does it say? He did continually. This was his pattern, his habit in life to be concerned for the spiritual well-being. And what is he concerned about? The text says that he's saying, perhaps my children have cursed God in their hearts. He's concerned about the reputation and the honor of God and the spiritual well-being of his children. And so he's proactively sending for them, right? And he's now offering these sacrifices in their presence on their behalf, interceding for them. Again, the initiative, the leadership that Job exercises as the head of the family, sending for his children, consecrating them before the Lord, making sure his children are present as he would offer to the Lord ten whole burnt offerings, the whole sacrifice going to the Lord, showing total dedication to the Lord. And he's doing this proactively, interceding on their behalf continually. That's perseverance. See, there can be a tendency for us to become more spiritually passive in our pursuit of the Lord and our attentiveness to Him and the well-being of others, especially when things are going well in our life. As a parent, for example, am I continuing to fear the Lord, meditating on the Scriptures, seeing the importance of the Word in my life and teaching the Scriptures to my children when all the kids seem to be doing great? See, the tendency for us is when all my kids are starting to struggle or disobey, now I'm getting into the Word, now I'm praying for them. But see, perseverance reminds us, no, it's even when everything seems to be going well, right, that I'm persevering and doing what's right. Again, maybe you are blessed with the relationship. You're, you're engaged or you're recently married. Fearing the Lord in this season might mean that you need greater attention to pursuing and persevering in purity, not less. Right? Fear of the Lord helps me to think I'd need to continue to pursue the very good things that God w- I was doing, even in times when I wasn't blessed in this way. 
You might be entering a season of retirement and think this might mean you equate doing less of a certain type of work may mean that you can not be as proactive in your work to pursue God or to serve others. And instead, God is reminding us, again, fearing the Lord, although I experience this blessing, I need to be attentive in these ways. Job's example encourages us to continue to do what's not right, not neglecting the Lord and the spiritual well-beings of others. What might this look like as a, as a corporately, as a church family, to show perseverance in times of blessing? Right? So many of us were praying, for example, for the strategic ministry plan, and the Lord unusually blessed us with all kinds of resources beyond what many of us were even praying or asking or thinking. And in those blessings, right, the tendency now can become, well, I, I don't pray for the continued work. I'm not as proactive in my continued attention to thanking the Lord for the good things that He's done in our life. Think about VBS this week, right? We can experience the blessing of having the opportunity to invest in these children for a week and then go back and say, okay, you know, we, we did the Scripture memory thing with the children. You know, now we can kind of take a break, right? And, and perseverance reminds us, no, no, we persevere continuing. Even as we receive that blessing, we want to continue in it. Many times as a, as a leadership team, I'm thankful for Pastor Viers and our other pastors who are constantly trying to remind one another of the Lord's blessings and making sure that we're thanking the Lord, pausing to do those things, prayerfully praying over the blessings that the Lord chooses to bring to our church family, because it is easy to take these things for granted and, and then to have a sort of a pride of life like we can just continue going on as if we don't need God. And what I love about Job's perseverance and character, it's pointed out at the end of the book as well, his concern for others. How do you see it in Job 42, 7 through 10? It says, It came about after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job, what is he doing? He'll pray for you, for I will accept him so that he may not do to you according to your folly because you have not spoken of me what is right and my servant Job has. And so Eliphaz and Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namanite went on and did as the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job. The Lord then restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends meaning he was seeking to honor the Lord and do what was right on behalf of the well-being of his friends, even when the Lord yet had not chosen to promise to bless him. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. Again, I find it remarkable as you read the story of Job, Job 13.4, 16.2, he says his friends smear him with lies, that they are worthless at times, physicians and miserable comforters. And so his friends like start off doing okay, trying to comfort Job, but I mean, in time, it becomes rather difficult in, for Job, his friends do, in the counsel that they're giving. And by the end of the book, though, you still see Job's heart to persevere to do what's right, even when his friends have wronged him and spoken inappropriately about God and what's going on in his life. And yet Job continues to persevere to intercede and pray for their well-being. Again, perseverance, perseverance. Job perseveres with integrity, even though it's easy to be unjustly grieved, I think, but for Job to be in despair because of what has happened, but he's praying and interceding for his friends because of what's honored God and serves his friends. And again, I just want to highlight, there's no indication that God promised Job to increase his wealth twofold if he prayed. It seems to highlight instead, this is Job's integrity. 
He's doing this simply because he wants to please the Lord, and this is what honors God. And God accepted Job. So to be fruitful for service, we must supply to our faith a perseverance like Job that fears God when when times are, are good. And so as you consider examples of perseverance in your life, I want to encourage you. Job, I think it can be a great example for us, but there may be personal examples in your own life, in this church family that God has used to be an example of encouragement and perseverance to your life. I want to encourage you, take a moment this week to encourage those people, to thank the Lord for those people, and how God used their testimony of faith and trials and perseverance through hard things, how personally it encouraged you and strengthened you in your faith. I think you're going to be surprised for how many times our examples for one another as believers of perseverance encourages us and spurs us on. But that might be one takeaway you even have for how God is using examples of perseverance in your life. Second, it's to trust the Lord in the trials. To trust the Lord in the trials. So I now want to turn your attention to Job 6. Okay, and so we're going to kind of pick up there. So right, the story starts, Job is really this full, it seems like a full life. He has, he's very blessed. And then things are going to happen. Things are going to happen. Again, this is the word of the Lord beginning in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and, and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, So notice who's initiating. Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth. Again, notice the repetition. A blameless and an upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. We saw that earlier. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on him every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now on the day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine, the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans, they formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they died. And I alone have escaped escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I return, shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. 
Now picking up in chapter 2. Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Notice the repetition. The Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming around the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from the evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered the Lord and said, "Ah, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And so the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. And then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. This is the word of the Lord. The point, as we see, is suffering is going to come to all. There was a day for Job, and there's going to be a day for you and me. We might think that the righteous are only blessed and never suffer, but no one is spared from suffering. And Job, especially, even a man who God commends as being righteous and full of integrity, he's not spared. God gives us a backstage pass in this story as we look at to understand the reasons behind Job's suffering, some of them at least, one of them, especially the conflict between God and Satan, that this is between Satan calling basically a God a liar and saying he doesn't know Job. He, it's not true what God, God's verdict and what God says about Job is not true. Job really only loves him basically as God's give him health and God's give him wealth. And what's amazing is God never tells Job the specific reasons for his affliction as the story goes on. And still Job perseveres through the testing that God allows Job to experience. And his example is an encouragement to us to commit to praise God in the affliction. You need to commit to praise God in the affliction. We see all the blessings that are mentioned at the beginning of the chapter that made Job's life full are suddenly taken away. And these are not random. It's not like just today was the day that the Sabians decided, let's go steal his stuff. Let's go slaughter the servants. We're supposed to see this is directly tied to the, the permission that God gives to Satan basically to come and destroy everything he has. All of it is in Satan's hand to take away. And so all these things that we see, all these secondary causes we see are being used by Satan to attack Job. His livelihood is destroyed and looted. His servants are slaughtered. His children are killed. And Job perseveres through the adversities. Throughout, the, the, what comes out of people's mouths is the issue of cursing God. Right? So Job is concerned about his children. Are they going to curse God? Satan is bringing up, oh, Satan will, Job is surely going to curse you to your face when all these things happen. And yet we see a a totally different response, worship and blessing God. Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshiped. And he said, as we were just singing even today as a church, right, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? Naked I came from the womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. This is what believers who persevere sound like in trials. 
He is grieving. He's mourning. And yet he takes a humble posture to speak accurately about God and chooses to praise the Lord and bless the Lord in the moment of acute trial. As believers, God commands us to give thanks in all circumstances. And we see that's what Job is doing here. This is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. With a particular suffering that you're facing right now, you might supply perseverance like Job. What does that look like? Well, maybe listing out 10 specific reasons that you can still praise and worship God in the trial. And then commit to praising Him for those things. This week, it might look like committing to praise Him with a specific song and to sing it. When that trial, when that affliction, when that pain comes up, in that moment, choosing to commit to praise Him. For example, the pain when you stand. You might need to sing, I'm standing on the promises of Christ my King in those moments. As believers, we commit to praise God in the affliction. Also, accept adversity comes from your all-wise God. Job's example also shows that we must accept the adversity that God chooses to bring is coming ultimately from the hands of our all-wise God. You know, I've done quite a bit of counseling, and I meet lots of folks going through suffering, and I still have never met the person who says when they're suffering, you know, this is the perfect time for this terrible trial I was praying for to be tested exactly in this way because I knew this was what was best for me. Instead, we're not all wise. We're not perfect in all our ways. We're merely creatures. And so as we think about our all-wise creator and we think about the Lord's ways and his actions, they're often going to be totally contrary to our perspective, which is why God's word regularly commands us, you need to renew your mind. You need to be transformed in your thinking. You need to conform your thoughts to God's word. We do not know what is best for us. And don't lean on your own understanding. Yet what often hinders us from persevering through trials in a godly way is not believing and accepting that this trial is tailor-made for me. It's purposely permitted by God. And God knows everything about this situation. And God knows everything about my spiritual state in this moment. And we see this in the story. God knows truly the integrity of Job. And he's going to help Job to persevere through this trial. And God knows this. Satan doesn't even know it. And Satan thinks he knows better than even the Lord. But Job does not sin with his lips. When Satan is given permission to attack Job's health, Job perseveres. And he says, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So he accepts the adversity. It's sure easy, though, to doubt the Lord's wisdom and to tell ourselves like this. This is the worst time as if God didn't actually know our daily schedule. Why would God make me deal with this person in my life, as if God didn't know how difficult this relationship was for you in your life? Or how can I handle this, as if God doesn't know about your creaturely limitations that he made you and sustains you currently with? And so one way your heart is helped to accept adversity in your life is going to be meditating on all the ways your wise God is behind the trial and acknowledging all the details in your life that the Lord knows. Thank you, Lord, that you know this about me. Thank you that you knew this. Thank you that you knew this. Thank you that you knew this. Meaning the Lord knows all the details. And don't deceive yourself to think that you know more about your life than even God does. 
God is wiser in His judgments. You are not wiser than the Lord to measure when and how much suffering should be permitted in your life for your good as a believer. A few resources that might help you in your further growth in this area. There's a pamphlet at our resource center, You Can Trust God by Jerry Bridges. And in one of those sections, he talks about the importance of God's omniscient, God being all-knowing, how that helps us to trust him in trials. You might look at some of the verses about God's omniscience in that booklet and really commit those to memory so that you can remember them in your trial. Paul Tripp also has a book on suffering, gospel hope when life doesn't make sense. I think that describes many times when we're going through suffering, this doesn't seem to make sense to me. And he has some good reasons that he mentions six traps in that book to avoid, right, when we're going through suffering. Again, those resources might help, again, put into practice what you're learning in Job. We see God is wiser and knows more than Satan in the story. God says, he will surely curse you to your face. That's what Satan says to God. And then we see Job hold fast. The Lord knew, right? The Lord knew that Job would pass the test. Further, those who persevere like Job trust the Lord that God controls and permits suffering for a good purpose. Trust the Lord controls and permits suffering for a good purpose. We saw in James, we're supposed to see from the life of Job, as, God, as Job continues to endure, we're going to see the outcome of the Lord's dealings. The Lord is full of compassion. He's merciful, meaning God's character is going to be more clearly seen through perseverance in time. And do you have that view? That's part of God's purpose for this trial is he wants you to see things about his character, the beauty and the mercy and the compassion of his ways that you're not going to see unless you persevere through this. See, whereas non-Christians may, not, may want to refuse to acknowledge God's involvement and God's purpose for allowing and permitting evil and suffering and adversity in their life, Christians find incredible hope you find incredible hope knowing God's all-wise, all-powerful, all-perfect hands are all over these details of your life, the suffering and adversity. So you can choose to say, oh, I don't think God's hands are over these things. There's not much hope to that. You're still going to go through the adversity. You're still going to go through the trials. But God is telling us the truth. His wise and purposeful and good hands are all over these things, and he's intending it for a good end. And you need to trust that. And we see Job has no problem dealing with the fact that God is ultimately the the cause and and responsible for what's being allowed into his life. For example, Job 1.12, The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has hand is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. Right? So we see the text showing ultimately Satan's able to do these things only because God permits Satan and grants Satan the power to do these things against Job. And then what's interesting is after that first round of afflictions, what does Job credit as the cause of his suffering? Job 1.20, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. And then in the second round of afflictions, we again see the Lord's sovereign power that Satan must request permission again from God. And God grants Satan the ability not only to take away his stuff, but now to inflict even physical pain on his health to test Job. And so we see that again in 2.6. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. So he can do no further. Satan cannot take Job's life without God's permission and power. And again, Job does not shy away from attributing total control and power to the Lord and his purposes. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? 
the book ends also reminding us that the Lord is the ultimate cause for Job's adversities. We see this in the end. They consoled him and they comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. Do not absolve yourself from any personal responsibility by putting moral blame on God when there is an injustice. This will not ultimately help you persevere with integrity. See, the lesson that God is trying to teach Job and God is trying to teach us is we must continue to persevere in trials, knowing God is involved here, but at the same time knowing that God is only doing what is good and righteous. See, God is trying to teach Job that the Lord said to Job, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Oh, sorry. Um, will the fault finder contend with, uh, acknowledge, sorry, third, acknowledge the struggle the, over the long term. Now, third is to acknowledge the struggle over the long term. This is the point in the story where we begin to see, as God continues the story, we begin to see Job is going to struggle. He's not persevering only in the trial, but there's a struggle to continue to persevere a struggle to continue to persevere in, in his faith. And so many times we, again, think of perseverance. Times are good, times are bad, but we have to also acknowledge the struggle for all of us that perseverance is a difficult thing because it, it's continuing to do what's right over the long haul. We don't have time to go into all the text, but the friends begin to comfort Job. And as they have these rounds of conversations, basically they start to say, Job, well, we think you're proud. We think there's ways that you have sinned that you're not acknowledging before the Lord. And Job is struggling, saying, I don't think I've sinned. I don't think I've done the things that you're uh, cons- uh, basically accusing me of doing. And in time, this desire for Job to be heard, to defend his case, he really wants to bring it to God for God to hear him. And he gets to the point where he sort of wants to, to demand an answer from God and God to give him the reason why and to basically declare him righteous on his behalf. And and there's a a temptation, I think, for all of us when we're suffering, we want to be honest with our pain, and Job is grieving, and you see that. He's living by faith. He's grieving. He's mourning. He's lamenting. And at the same time, you see these commitments of faith and trust in God. But there's this struggle to continue to persevere. But Job gives us the example to petition the Lord humbly in these moments to petition the Lord humbly in these moments, even when you're grieving, even when you're suffering, even when you're persevering, that you need to petition the Lord humbly. In Job 31, 35 through 37, here's where Job's heart eventually gets. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Behold, here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me in the indictment which is my adversary has written. Surely, what is he saying? I want, to, I want to bring this to God. I want to carry it on my shoulder. I would bind it to myself like a crown, and I would declare to him the number of steps. And like a prince, I would approach him. Job is basically saying, I want to approach God. I want to ask him questions, and I want God to answer me. This is where I think Job, God has some lessons to teach Job, even through how he perseveres through this trial. Because how do we see then God respond? Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. So Job says, I'm going to approach God like a king and like a prince. I'm going to ask him questions and God's going to answer me. And then we see God approaches Job out of a whirlwind. God questions Job and God says, now you answer me, Job. God is trying to teach Job. He has to approach again him with humility and understand certain things about God and his ways. When Job seems to see this doesn't seem like justice, God is going to have to remind Job again about his character And so continuing to persevere in bringing our request humbly to the Lord. Also, do not blame God for wrongdoing. 
When you think you are not treated justly, do not blame God for wrongdoing when you think you are not treated unjustly. We read in Job 41 that the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. And Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken, and I will not answer even twice, and I will add nothing more. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you, and you instruct me. Will you really annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? See, there's a common temptation as we seek to acknowledge God as the ultimate involvement and responsibility for permitting suffering in our life to then think that God is somehow morally blameworthy and his justice somehow is, doesn't seem to make sense to us, that somehow to put God into the wrong and then to justify ourselves, to put us in the right. But the scriptures remind us it is the only the Lord who is righteous. He's righteous altogether. Only the Lord justifies, declares who is righteous. And it's only the Lord who can execute perfect justice. And Job is going to have to trust that there are things that God is doing that he doesn't need to explain to Job, that are, and they're still righteous. And he cannot call into question God's righteousness, right? Even when he's not obligated to give him an answer. You know, Job even declares earlier that something that we must never forget, and this is where Job's hope is, ultimately, that God is the reason he's the only Savior. He says, my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. That's our hope, that God is the only righteous one. Like Job, the the one who is justified and declared righteous and vindicated in God's sight is going to be those who have faith in our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. But we must remember that God is not obligated to answer the way that you desire, and you still must persevere in faith. Remember, God is not obligated to answer the way that you desire, and you still must persevere in faith. We can use the reason why, the why question when we're experiencing suffering and evil to justify just giving up on God or giving in to the temptation instead of persevering through the suffering and evil. There's nothing wrong with asking God why and lament. Job teaches that, right, you, can, you must be prepared, though, that God may tell you something, some things that are too wonderful that he never ever explains in detail why. In other words, some secret things belong to the Lord. This is what we see in Job's response that he comes to understand as God sort of takes him through creation and explains all the things that God has done that he never explained to Job that he did without Job's permission, without God giving him an answer or a reason or counsel, inviting Job to understand these things. He says, Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. And it's at this point I want to encourage you, look at Job's perseverance. It's so encouraging in that he never seems to get the details and the specifics, and yet he is still faithful, and he persevered. Apparently, the Lord God knew that Job did not need the information to persevere. A reminder to be encouraged that God grants us everything we need for life and godliness. And there can be a temptation, I need to know why my spouse did this and did that in order to honor God. I need to know why, where I went wrong in my parenting in order now to persevere. I need to know why I got cancer now in order to persevere. Remember the billion things that the Lord is doing that you don't understand and the purposes that he has for these things that he never consulted you about. As you think more about those things, it will help you to not demand answers from God that he's never revealed to you in his word. 
The hidden things that are not revealed by the Lord should not be your primary concern if you want to persevere. Instead, focus your attention and thoughts and answers on the purposes that God does reveal to you in His Word. Meaning He's the all-wise one, the all-powerful one, the all-righteous one who's doing all things and purposing all things for His end. And He's saying, here's what's most important for you in your suffering to understand. Here's what's most important for you to understand about the purposes I have for suffering. And it's in His Word. More attention to that is going to help you persevere, not understanding things that God has not clearly revealed to you. Perseverance implies continued trials as well, but even the upright man Job illustrates we need to be prepared to confess and repent when you have a distorted view of God at times in your life. And we're all going to struggle with this. And Job, who's even a righteous and a wise man, needs to learn some things about God's character. And this is one of the examples. And so confess and repent when you have a distorted view of God. And we see this. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. And God goes on to then explain, what does Job have to learn? I've declared that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Consider what does confession and repentance look like in your life when you're especially viewing trials improperly and God's character improperly. Acknowledge the ways that your view of God is wrong. It's distorted. Humble yourself like Job. And over the long term, you're going to continue to see fruit as you conform your thinking to the Lord and His Word. And as you continue to live in the sin-cursed world, you're going to need to learn to entrust your care ultimately for God to judge justly. Job knows that he's righteous. He wants a mediator. He wants God to vindicate him. And in the end, God humbles Job before we end up seeing the Lord coming to aid Job and basically correcting his friends, his anger burning against his friends, telling them they were bad counselors. This is what Job's concerns were. This is what was bothering him. And and yet God ends up vindicating Job in the eyes of his friends. And it's just delightful to see as Job continues to persevere and entrust his care to God and believe his character and what's good about God, we see the Lord intervene on behalf of Job and choose to bless. And in the end, God does judge the three friends for speaking incorrectly about Job, right? And that's what he says. They have spoken not of me what is right as my servant Job has. And so then God tells them the instructions to make reconciliation. And notice, I will accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. And so continue to entrust your care to God, knowing that ultimately He is the one that's going to vindicate us. A similar point is made for us in First Peter earlier this year. God has left Christ as an example, right? That we should follow in His steps. Christ suffered for us. He left us an example. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in His mouth. And yet the text goes on to say that He entrusted Himself to God, who judges justly. And similarly, while we're reviled, while we're persecuted, while you're suffering in this life, Trust your care to God. We acknowledge the struggle of Job, the struggle of our own lives to persevere and trust the Lord. There is none of us who will persevere perfectly. And that's a reminder. This leads us to worship and put our hope not in Job or in our ability to perfectly persevere, but in our one and true living Redeemer and Savior, Jesus Christ, who persevered to the end, trusting his care to the Father, never sinning at all with his mouth, vindicated in glory by rising from the dead. And those who put their hope and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone will be vindicated. You are declared righteous and forgiven of your sin. And by his power, 
the author and perfecter of our faith, he can help you to continue to persevere as you rely on him. But Job's perseverance does show us we need to fear the Lord when times are good, trust the Lord in the trials, and acknowledge the struggle over the long term. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Job that reminds us of these important lessons on perseverance. And would you help us to fear you when times are good, to trust you also in the trials that we're experiencing in our lives, and Lord, to acknowledge the struggle over the long term that leads us to confess as we were singing this morning, Lord, how much we need you our Redeemer, our Perfector, our Perseverer in the faith. And would you continue to help us to persevere as a church family so that we would bear much fruit for your glory and honor. In Christ's name, amen.